Y'all doing good? Well, it is good to see you. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And as you're doing that, I want to uh, make you aware of something that's coming up this Saturday, 8.30 a.m. right here in the Community Center, a volunteer appreciation breakfast for anybody who volunteers in any capacity here at Schindler Drive Baptist Church. For anybody, all right? You're like, I think I kind of, you're, that's you, all right? Just if you volunteer, come on. And we're going to have a free breakfast for you at 8.30. It was Cracker Barrel. I hate to uh, tell you this. It's not Cracker Barrel anymore. It's actually Grumpy's now, which is even better. All right? So some Grumpy's breakfast. And we got a great uh, guest speaker, Bob Bumgarner, who directs our JBA, our Jacksonville Baptist Association. Then we'll break out into some some groups. And uh, it'll just be a great day of hopefully encouragement. And hopefully you'll feel appreciated and you'll get some training too. So spread the word. Uh, you do need to sign up for that. So make sure you go to our website. You'll see the event there. Click on that. It's pretty easy to register. If you're not uh, online or uh, like the internet or anything like that, just call the church office tomorrow and we will sign you up that way. All right. Also, I want to, uh, uh, this weekend, the uh, student ministry had a great event called Venture Weekend. And so uh, they had a lot of fun doing a scavenger hunt all across town called The Amazing Race, kind of like the show. Uh, my stop was at the mall uh, where uh, me and the person with me, our uh, job was to dress up in disguise in the food court. Uh, I didn't do that. I talked to the guy who was with me, Logan. He did it. And uh, it was fun to watch the kids come in and uh, run off to their next stop. And uh, I just want to say this. If you're a student, if you have a student or you know of somebody from 7th to 12th grade uh, who's not plugged into our student ministry, get them plugged in. They're going to have a lot of fun, a lot of fun, but they're also going to hear a lot, a lot, a lot about what it means to be a fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. So thank you, Brandon. Thank you, leaders. Y'all did a great job this weekend. So this past weekend, my older brother, he turned 40 years old. I'm not that far behind him. I'm 15 months younger than him, so I'll turn 40 next year. And we had an 80s birthday party for him, all right? So we were, uh, it was all decked out in 80s decorations and everybody in 80s clothes, and we had some 80s trivia. So we were all, our knowledge was tested on 80s uh, music information and, uh, you know, uh, movie trivia and TV trivia. There's a lot of good movies and TV in the 80s. I just want to tell you that. No? Anybody agree with me? Yeah. So, does anybody remember a show called uh, MacGyver? A lot of you do. I think there's a new version of it. Uh, But MacGyver was, you know, secret agent, just had an endless supply of resourcefulness at his disposal, and was able to get himself out of any situation, challenging situation he found himself in. It's amazing that the show survived for seven seasons, because in every episode, he came within .003 seconds of his face being blown off, right? So, I don't... Know how he survived all that, but you just knew MacGyver always had a plan. MacGyver, always, man, you didn't have to doubt it. Even as a kid, you know, you, MacGyver, he's gonna find, he's gonna find a way out of this. Don't worry. If somebody was with you the you know, first time ever watching the show, they start getting nervous. Hey, don't don't be nervous, man. It's MacGyver. Just get the man a paper clip. Get the man some dental floss, a ballpoint pen. He's gonna get out of this, right? I mean, complete faith in MacGyver, right? Uh, and, and we we love shows like that. We love shows that we can kind of escape in to where. Uh, they, you know, seem to have a control over every situation, some level of control over every situation that they find themselves in. Uh, we love to escape in those types uh, of storylines. And, and then we turn the TV off. And it's back to real life. Unpredictability of life, all the doubts, the stresses. And what is tragic is we can be that way as believers. We can find ourselves often in its 
crazy. And I'm not going to take that illustration too far because some of you are like, where is he going with that? Is he like saying like the God is the greater MacGyver? No, I'm not going to take it that far. We're going to blow the illustration up right there. But it is interesting that we can get caught up in fictional storylines and display more confidence in fictional characters like Angus MacGyver than we do as Christians in real life in the God that we serve. Um, And the truth of the matter is God literally always has a plan. He always has a plan for your life. He has a plan for this world. And nothing's going to thwart that. Nothing's going to stop that. All right, And what we've learned in Acts from the very beginning, do you know what his main plan has been and continues to be? It's this, to redeem a people for himself and his glory through the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. That's his plan. And here's the exciting part about those of us who are, are in that movement, who are born-again Christians, who have experienced personally that plan, is now he invites us to come along and to be a part in the execution of that plan. He invites us to come along and to be on his team. He invites us to come along and to help. He doesn't have to use us, but chooses to use us to fulfill his mission on this earth, a plan that will not fail. That is the theme of Acts, that the gospel goes out and people keep coming in. As we send the gospel out, people will continue to come into the kingdom, and that will continue to be the theme as we'll see in chapter 8. Stand with your Bibles open. Acts chapter 8, start in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're you're reading? And he said, how can I unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth in his humiliation. Justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For this life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about somebody else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. And Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. Boom, gone. And went on his way rejoicing, the eunuch did. And Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Would you have a seat as I pray? God, we know that you are the same yesterday and today and forever. We know that the same Spirit that was working as we're reading Luke's chronicling of the work of your son through the early church by the power of your spirit, the same spirit at work is the same spirit in us. Help us to be aware of that this morning, God. And we pray that your spirit would, uh, would help us to know your word this morning, hear your word, learn your word, and apply your word. And I pray if anyone here has a heart that can't hear your word because they have a heart of stone that has not yet believed that your spirit would draw them to yourself and today would be the day of their salvation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So in Acts, what we've seen is a pattern so far. Hopefully you've picked it up. The day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God fell down on God's people, filled God's people. And they began to minister with, with power, the power of the Spirit working through them, empowered them to preach with boldness. Uh, the power of the Spirit is seen through signs and wonders and miracles that all kind of tee up opportunities just to keep making much of Jesus and pointing people to the gospel. And even we see this, that every time that it's tried to be opposed, like every time opposition comes up against the gospel, it just keeps spreading, right? Every time that opposition comes up against the movement, against the mission of God, again, that will not fail, it's as they stomp it out, it's almost like embers of little fire just keep shooting out and fires of revival just keep rolling on out of Judea and uh, rolling out of Jerusalem and into Judea and, and then into Samaria as we read last week and we saw the Spirit of God works there. And, and up to this point, we've seen how the Spirit of God has, uh, for the most part, or really the most part, has has worked uh, in large group settings, right? So thousands of people have come to know to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, large groups. And this is the first time that we just read in Acts where the camera zooms in and we get the first one-on-one evangelism encounter in the history of the New Testament church. A one-on-one evangelism encounter between Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. And I want you to to just let this rest in this again, to, to, for your mind to just, just stay here for just a second, that the same spirit that fell at Pentecost, the same spirit that is rolling through that, that, that first century world and, and, and thousands of people are being saved. It's just an incredible movement of God. The same spirit that we're going to see leading Philip in, in his life and at work right here in this one-on-one encounter is the same spirit in you is the same spirit in you. How different would this week look like in your life if you leaned in and believed that even more? The same spirit is in you and wants to use you to make an impact for the glory of God. What would happen is you would probably look a lot like Philip. Now, what was Philip? He's what I'm going to call this morning an example of what it looks like to be a disciple on the go. That's who Philip was, Philip the evangelist. And as we look at this passage, there's a lot of things that we could, we could go some different directions. Some people will camp out on baptism for the most part of this passage. Uh, you, you can, uh, again, you can focus on that. The, the main point of the text is the gospel goes out and people come in. But I do think there's a lot to learn here about what it looks like to be a disciple on the go. What it looks like to be a disciple in action. What it looks like to be filled with the Spirit of God and used the power of the Spirit for God's glory. And so the, we're going to see three things that mark the life of a disciple on the go according to God's word as we look into the life of Philip. And the first one is this. Disciples on the go remain sensitive and obedient to the Spirit's leading. Disciples on the go remain sensitive and obedient to the Spirit's leading. A pretty simple point right there. Notice in verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord. Now you know it's going to be good when it starts out with an angel showing up, right? But we don't get a whole lot of details there. We wish we did, but we just don't. We don't really need them uh, because the point is made. In both of those moments, actually, the angel speaking and the Spirit speaking, it's really over and done with uh, relatively pretty quickly. In verse 26 and 29, he hears the instruction, one from the, uh, the angel first, and then later on from the Spirit, and it says he hears it, he hears the instruction, he understands the instruction, and he obeys without reservation. That's the type of person that Philip was. We learn a lot about Philip uh, through a couple 
Not a whole lot, but we learn more about Philip from Acts 6. We know he's a servant of God. We know he serves God faithfully. In Acts chapter 21, we learn a little bit more about Philip, that he continues his ministry and lands in Caesarea. So we'll get there one day on a Sunday morning. And we learn in verse 9 that he raises a family there, raises four daughters there. He has four adult, single daughters who are all called, that they all have the gift of prophecy. That's an intimidating lineup of daughters right there. You know what I mean? So that was his family. So just a godly man. And I really, what we, I really believe what we see right here, what I, I think we see right here really shows us uh, the, the key to understanding why he was the way he was. Why he was such a moldable, flexible, all-in, surrendered, others-focused, Christ-focused, gospel-focused believer, a disciple on the go. I believe it's because he lived his life in dependence on the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised in John 14 that he said he would help us. He's not going to leave us on our own, but he's going to send us a helper to empower us, to convict us, to equip us, to communicate to us, to help us live a life of mission that honors him and that he would do it through the power of his spirit at work in us. That's how he fulfilled that promise as we yield to that spirit. That's the key right there. He's given us a helper to convict us. He's given us a helper to teach us. He's given us a helper to communicate to us. But he only is a helper to us as we yield to that helper. And if that's true, if God's given us a helper, if we see this helper coming in at Pentecost and moving in the life of the church and moving in the life of people like Philip, well, the question is this. If that's true, the same spirit there is the same spirit in me, I have to ask the question, when's the last time I sensed the spirit prompting me like he prompts Philip right here? When's the last time that I sensed the spirit of God speaking to me like he's speaking to Philip right here? Now, the first word that he gets is through an angel, right? So uh, I've never had an angel come to me and, and deliver a message, all right, that may... I guess that can still happen. It's just never happened to me. We see it happen some in the New Testament. We see it happen in the life of Mary. We see it happen in the life of Joseph, the parents of Jesus, earthly parents of Jesus. Um, But we do know this, that we can know this with certainty, that the God who sent the angel most certainly sent his spirit to indwell the life of every person to help us and to lead us and to direct us. And that he primarily speaks to us through the word that he inspired. The Holy Spirit primarily speaks to us through the word that the Holy Spirit inspired. We know that Hebrews 1.1 is an example of a scripture that supports that truth. Which means this, very simple point this morning. Here, number one, it means this, to be a spirit-filled, spirit-led, walking in relationship with the spirit. And I hope you know that it's a relationship. That it's not an impersonal force. That it's, it's a personal God. The third part of the Trinity, God existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That in order for you to walk in the Spirit, in order for you to hear from the Spirit, it means that you're going to need to have a deep commitment to studying God's Word, to praying God's Word, to listening to God through His Word. And through His Word, as a disciple on the go, He gives you marching orders. Now, there's some that are just there. There's some you don't need to just wait around and wait for a green light on, right? The main one is this. Share the gospel. That's God's will for your life. A lot of people are like, I want to know what God's will for my life is. I'm trying to find God's will. It's not lost. It's not lost. It's in God's word. And a main part of that is sharing the gospel of being the light of Christ in the dark world that he's placed you in week in and week out, day in and day out. Right? And there's other, there's all kinds of parts of his will that are just plain and black and white. 
to live a holy life, to be a person of prayer, to love your brother, love your sister. It's written out in black and white. However, as you walk in the Spirit, the Spirit also comes along. And you know you've, you've experienced this. If you've been uh, walking with Jesus, if you've been maturing in your faith, that the Spirit does come along and prod you at different times and lead you at times in different directions. Brings people to mind. Boom. I mean, their name comes to your mind. Stirs in your heart to reach out to a particular person. We should pray. We should pray in this way. God, make my heart sensitive to the, to the people that you may place in my path, to the divine opportunities that you may have me to step into this week. God, make my heart sensitive to see those things. Make my heart sensitive to those people that you want me to share the gospel with. God, open doors for me to share. And, and, and I pray that you would, would put a pull in my spirit to help me understand where I need to step in and be obedient. And at times, it may feel as extreme and as radical and as dangerous as you selling your stuff and moving to a third world country. Or some weeks, it may be you going into your HOA and being the light of Christ there. I don't know which one of those is more dangerous, all right? (laughs) HOA or third world country. I'll let you decide. But here's the point that we learn here. Very simple. God has given you everything you need to live a life led by him. All right, that's a place where I pause and wait for somebody to amen that right there. God has given you everything you need to live a life led by him. All right, he's given you a spirit. He's given you his word. He's given you his church. And like Philip, when he speaks to us, we're called to obey. That's what I love about Philip, just quick obedience. He obeys. Even when it might not make a whole lot of sense. And this next part uh, about what it means to be a disciple on the go helps us understand why he was so quick to obey. Second thing is this. Disciples on the go recognize God's sovereign hand in evangelism. Disciples on the go recognize God's sovereign hand in evangelism. This would have been what God is asking him to do through this angel would have been confusing for anyone. Right? I mean, if I'm Philip, I got a lot of questions right here. Like, God, hold on a second, time out. I don't know if you got the memo, God, but there's like a revival uh, going down in Samaria. And it's like a big one. I'm talking like Billy Graham style revival, big tent revival. People are getting saved. It's awesome. It's exciting. I got work to do. I'm lining up counselors every single day. We're preaching the word. It's going out. People are coming in. Right? I would be, t- I would be tempted to go, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me to be pulled away from this. All right. Or, or, you know, or even if I was, I would kind of be like, okay, it may make sense. Just tell me where I'm going. All right. Am I going like resort town? Like, am I Cancun, you know, uh, Honolulu, Hawaii? Tell me where I'm going, God. Where am I going? To the desert. You're telling me I'm just supposed to walk out in the New Mexico. They do the nuclear test and just take a left. Just keep walking to the desert until I reach a little podunky town. You're telling me that's what I'm supposed to do. I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense. Because things are going really, really well in Samaria. I I could think of a million reasons why in my flesh I would think that that's a bad idea for me to go down to Gaza as I'm in the middle of everything going on in Samaria. And he's in Jerusalem at the time he gets this message, but it's because he's retreating for probably a couple days to take a breather to go back up into Samaria and continue that work. And what we learn here as, listen, as Philip lets go of something that's good to follow the voice of God. To follow the leading and the prompting of God in his life. What we see, he's letting go of something that seems like it's good for something that he he has no clue what's ahead for him. But he's going to experience the blessing and the joy of walking in faith as he begins to see along the way indications that God's sovereign plan is better than his plans. 
And there will be moments, just a little side note right here, there will be moments where God's going to ask you to let go of some stuff, and it may be good stuff that's hard to let go of. But he's asking you to let go of it because it's part of his plan, and his plan's better than your plan. It may be a successful ministry. It may be job security. Man, it may be at one point in your life, some house you dialed into, you got it looking like Joanna Gaines HDTV. You got it all right, and then all of a sudden, you're really now? Now we're supposed to move? For some ministry that you're calling me to, you'd have me step out in faith now, God? Let me ask you a question that I guarantee not one person in this room thought they'd be asked this morning at church. You ready? Has anybody ever caught a monkey before? (laughs) Told you. You weren't expecting that, were you? Anybody? Okay, me neither, right? I've never caught a monkey. However, I did learn from someone how to catch a monkey. You want to know how? Of course you do, right? I was in India on a mission trip. There's a lot of monkeys there. And a, a guy there, a native, he shared with me how you can catch a monkey. I received some really good advice that I'll hopefully never have to use, right? He said, here's what you do. You take a coconut, a big coconut. And these, this works for the little monkeys, all right? I'm not sure if it works for the big ones. But you take a coconut, a pretty good size, and you drill a hole in the coconut. And you drill the hole just a, a little bit smaller than the, than the monkey's fist, and you pour out the milk and you put some, some fruit in there that the monkey would like. And that monkey will come along and it'll reach its little hand down in that hole. And it'll reach in there for that fruit and it'll grab onto the fruit. But that little greedy monkey wants that fruit so bad that as you begin to run at it to try to catch it, it won't let go of it. And its fist won't be able to fit back out of the hole. So it'll just be running around with a big old coconut. And it can't run fast. It can't run up a tree. And he said, you just go up and you grab the monkey. I'm like, I'm not sure why anybody would want to do that, but now I know. Right? But what happens is, is that monkey wants that piece of fruit so bad that he's unwilling to let it go and release it. And little does he know that as he holds on to what he thinks is good, it's actually leading to his demise. That trick, by the way, doesn't work with kids, all right? I've tried it. But is it not true that sometimes there's things in our lives that we hold on to, that we hold on to, that we grasp onto, that we're not willing to let go? And little do we know that what's happening is we're holding ourselves back from something that God has that's better. It's his plan. So Philip's lets go and he heads down to this little town called Gaza. Man, he just posts up out in the middle of the desert at this intersection in Gaza. And what we begin to see is this, that the Spirit of God is overseeing all of this. Not just through Philip's life and getting him down there and the growth that's going to happen through him coming down and following God's uh, will, his voice, but we also begin to see that he's sovereignly at work preparing the Ethiopian eunuch for this moment as well. Now, we learned some things about the Ethiopian eunuch right here, all right? He's a pretty big deal from the place that he's from. Verse 27 says that he was a, a court official of the Queen Candace, is the way you say it. In America, we just say Candace. But it's actually the way you say it is Candace. I learned that this past week, all right? But we'll just say Candace. But he's a CFO uh, there in that country. And when we think of Ethiopia, you're probably thinking of the country. But back then in the ancient world, think Sudan, a big chunk of northern Africa. He was a powerful figure. On the org chart, he's right there next to the queen. He answers to her. So he's powerful. He's over the treasury. He's over all the finances. And it also says he was a eunuch. All right, That evidently was part of the employment contract, which uh, meant he really, really wanted this job. All right, So job description, CFO for the kingdom. 
All right, job description, uh, you get to report directly to the queen. Requirements, you need to be really good at math. Uh, you need to be really good at mathematics. You need some accounting degree, uh, and you need to be a eunuch. All right, and I'll uh, you know, let you parents explain what that is on the way home, right? But he really wanted the job. And why did they do that? They, they did that. It's right there in God's word, and it was something that was a real part, a, bar- a barbaric part, a brutal part in the ancient world, and it was to eliminate, they thought it would eliminate any possibility that someone uh, like him who would be in close proximity with the queen or with uh, the concubines of the king would uh, do anything that he wasn't supposed to do. And so it was, a, it was just who he was. And it says that he's a Riding on a chariot. Now, this is a little bit different than the quarterly Sunday school pictures that you probably have in your mind, all right, of someone like riding in a chariot. In the ancient world, especially in the area of Ethiopia, think of like a huge, like oversized, queen-sized bed with the post, and you've got eight servants that are carrying him on this bed, on this chariot, uh, a really long way, all right? And what this, be- this begs a question, what in the world is this prominent guy CFO of the kingdom of Ethiopia in the ancient world, what is he doing 1,200 miles away from his home? What is he doing right here? Well, it seems right here to indicate that he believed in the God of Israel, that he, he, he believed that God exists, that he, there was a level of fear in his, in his life about this God. It's much like uh, the government official uh, Cornelius or the guy named Cornelius that we'll meet in a couple weeks and learn about. But he believes in God. He's traveled 1,200 miles. They've walked him 1,200 miles. That's like from Jacksonville to New York City. For him to go into Jerusalem to just find out about and to try to worship this God of Israel that he's drawn to. And so he believes in God, the God of Israel, but he hadn't put all the pieces together. And he's on his, actually on his way back when he runs into Philip. He's on his way back from Jerusalem, and that would have probably been a really discouraging trip for him because, see, he would have gotten to Jerusalem excited to learn about this God and would have seen a sign posted right there outside the temple where you go into worship, in their minds, the God of Israel at that time that would have said, no lame, no disease, no blind, no units can enter. Deuteronomy 21.3, it says that they banned eunuchs from entering in to the temple because they saw what they had done as a defilement of their body. And now he's here on this deserted road, he's discouraged, he's, he's pulled over, he's reading this scroll of Isaiah. He probably loved Isaiah. Probably a 50-foot scroll that he's, he's reading, a, a scroll that he probably had read along a, a lot, that he paid a lot of money for. Not everybody had a scroll. And why do you, you say, why do you think that he loved Isaiah? Well, I think he loved Isaiah like other reason other eunuchs loved Isaiah because in Isaiah 56, one through six, there was a unique promise for eunuchs in that ancient world where it said in verse six there, it said that God will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. That had caught his attention. Maybe that's for me. Wait, but he just had an experience at the temple where he couldn't even get into the court of the Gentiles because he's a eunuch. So maybe he's on the side of the road thinking, There's, how, can, how can a messed up, outcast, scarred sinner like me ever experience that kind of blessing that's written down in Isaiah chapter 56? What he's not aware of is a sovereign hand of God that's at work that his life's about to collide with. John six forty four says this, no one can come. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father sent me, who sent me draws them to me. 
And God's been, God's been drawing this Ethiopian eunuch unto himself. And he's out there on that deserted highway in the very place where Philip is posted up. He looks up and he sees this Ethiopian eunuch studying this big scroll, reading Isaiah out loud. And in verse 29, it says this, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join the chariot. So Philip ran. That's some obedience right there. This takes off running. I wish my kids would obey me like that. Just takes off running. And he runs up to the chariot and he says, Do you understand what you're reading? Now, that's some bold courage right there. He would have looked important. Philip's an ordinary, simple guy, just surrendered to God being used by God, he would have looked like a big deal, right? Can you just imagine being out for a dog tomorrow morning and the spirit prompting you? I want you to run over like a madman and bang on the window of that Maserati and just say, what you reading? You know, it's, it's something that would have been awkward, but it doesn't matter. He runs in obedience and he says, do you know what you're reading? And he says, uh, how can I unless somebody guides me? Isn't that an interesting question? Because what he's saying is, I'm sitting here reading this. I'm sitting here trying to understand what this says. And basically what this implies is, you know, hey, I'm trying to understand it. But really, you know, how can I read it unless somebody tells me? Unless somehow some magically some Bible teacher who understands it just kind of comes out of thin air and comes next to me and explains it to me. And Philip says, you're in luck. I mean, what are the chances of this? This is our, you know what this is? This is our sovereign God at work showing us something, showing us that he's a sovereign God who works and moves and positions pieces to pursue and to seek and to save one lost soul. He did the same for your soul if you're saved. God pulled Philip away from a revival in Samaria to go all the way down into Gaza so that one man could be saved. And I love this passage because it reminds us that God loves the crowds. He loves what he, what, what's happened when the, the, you know, the, the, the thousands, the 3,000 were saved and the 2,000 were saved. And then the, the big crowds of hundreds and thousands are being saved. But what this passage reminds us of, that as much as God loves the crowds, loves the thousands being saved, the camera zooms in on Scripture here on one person. And we see that he's a personal God. That he doesn't just love the numbers. He loves the individual. He loves you. He loves every single one of you. See, truth of the matter is this. Some of you came here today and you don't know why you're here, but you're a lot like the Ethiopian eunuch. Like the Ethiopian eunuch, you may believe in God. You came to church this morning, but you still can't kind of seem to put the pieces together. And I want you to know you're not here by accident this morning. Some of you are here this morning and, and you're like the Ethiopian eunuch in the sense that you feel unqualified. There's scars in my past. There's things, there's baggage that I, listen, I don't think it'd ever be, um, you know, erased. I don't know if God could ever forgive me. I don't know if there's ever a place for someone like me in a place like this, much less than the family of God. Can there be hope for me? It's not an accident you're here this morning. God is seeking and pursuing you. And some of y'all are like, see, this is why, this is why I don't like you Christians. Because you're always trying to persuade me. You're always trying to, to win me over, to believe the gospel. You caught us. That's exactly what we're doing. You know why? Because we love you. We love you. We know that God loves you. We know that God saved wicked-hearted, wretched sinners like us, and he can save a wretched, wicked-hearted sinner like you. Some of us are like the Ethiopian eunuch this morning. Some of us are like Phillips. 
And what this story reminds us of is that God divinely sets up appointments all the time like this for things like this to happen. And to be a missional church, Schindler Drive, we're committed to be a missional church. We're committed to keeping things about the main thing. And that's the mission. And to be a missional church, we must be people with hearts that are sensitive to the Spirit like Philip. Listen, who, who, who sense and yield to the pull of the Spirit in our hearts, whether that's this week taking a coworker to lunch to talk to them about Jesus Christ, whether it's to walk across the street to your neighbor who God's put on your mind to share with them about Jesus Christ or invite them to church, whether it's to walk across the lunchroom students to sit with somebody to point them to the hope that you found in Jesus Christ. Whatever it is, those promptings, we need to be people who see those as promptings from God that are meant to be obeyed the very voice of God that is directing you. You know what that means? It means like, Philip, there are some chariots that we need to jump up into this week that await you, divine appointments for you to point people to Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Philip does. It's a divine appointment. He jumps up into the chariot. He invites him up into the chariot, which you know the guys underneath love that, right, that are carrying. Like, seriously, you guys can't talk about that down here? Like, uh, carrying you around? (laughs) The last thousand miles. And so he hops up there and he sees that he's reading Isaiah 53. And let's read it in verse 32 again. It says, Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear, it's silent. It's silent. So he opens not his mouth. You know, of course, talking about the kangaroo trial Jesus stood before that court. And experienced, verse 33, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch says, as he's reading that aloud, he says, is this about Isaiah or is this about somebody else? He said, do you, he's saying to Philip, do you understand this? Do you, do you know what this is talking about? And Philip's like, as a matter of fact, I do. And I can And Philip proceeds to point him, listen, to the star of the story. That's a lesson right there. That's the third point this morning. Disciples on the go repeatedly point to the star of the story. You know why Philip was able to do that? This is a lesson in evangelism right here, some training. He was familiar with the storyline, the basic storyline of Scripture. If you're not able to articulate somewhat of the basic storyline of Scripture, that's some homework for you this week. You can get... You can get a Jesus Jesus Storybook Bible. We have some of those in our kids' ministry, and that can help an adult understand the basic storyline of Scripture. And what he does is he models for us, though, right here, what's at the heart of being evangelist, and it's this, continuously, repeatedly bringing it back to the star of Scripture, to the star of the story, and that's Jesus Christ. Bringing the conversation back to Jesus. That's who they need to know. I want you to know, no matter what's going on in your life right now, No matter what it is, no matter what your set of circumstances look like, no matter what your life looks like, more important than anything else in your life is that you know Jesus. The most important thing, if you, out of anything else you hear me say today, is that you know Jesus Christ. And the most important thing for you to do, if you know Jesus Christ, is to tell other people about him. Man, it's easy. I'm with you. It's easy to kind of get caught in little debates. It's to 
get caught, kind of caught up in the weeds of apologetic arguments and things. Always bring it back to Jesus Christ. Show people that all of Scripture points to the cross. All of Scripture points to Jesus Christ. He's the star of the story. There's one hero in the Bible. There's one king. There's one Lord. There's one Jesus. And the Old Testament, listen, is, is filled with, with arrow after arrow after arrow that points to Jesus. The prophecies that we find in the Old Testament point to him. In addition to the prophecies, Jesus just shows up in the Old Testament. Just to remind you, it's all about Jesus. Christophanies all over the place. Before he puts on flesh, he walked with Abraham in Genesis 18. Before he puts on flesh, he wrestled with Jacob in Genesis 32. He's with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace in Daniel 3. He meets with Joshua as the commander of the Lord's army at the end of Joshua chapter 5 before they go in and the walls of Jericho fall down. It's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It all points to Jesus. In Genesis 3, Jesus is the one who will crush the head of the serpent. All the priests in the Old Testament all point to him, the great high priest. All the kings in the Old Testament all point to him, the greater king. All the judges in the Old Testament all point to him, the great judge who will judge the quick and the dead. When we see stories like where Isaac is carrying that wood up, uh, following his father's uh, instructions, obeying his father's will, climbing that mountain, it points to Jesus who carries another piece of wood, who carries the cross on his back, up onto Mount Calvary, following his father's instructions, honoring his father's will. It all points to Jesus. When we see Moses leading the Israelites out of captivity, it points to Jesus, our Savior, who leads us out of a greater captivity, captivity of our sin. When Moses leads the, the Israelites across the Red Sea and it splits and, and, and it, they, they cross over on dry land and they look back at that army that's, that's pursuing them and on their heels and they look back and it swallows up that army that's pointing to Jesus who on the cross swallowed up death by his death. It all points to Jesus. When you see David in the Old Testament, little shepherd boy David go out and sling that stone and it hits Goliath, the great giant Goliath from Philist, from Philistine, 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 whatever it's called. It's actually this, this town that we're talking about right here. This is where he was from. The great Philistine, that rock hits him in the forehead and he falls to the ground and it points to Jesus on the cross slaying a greater giant, which is our sin. There's some really good advice in here. There's some really good inspirational stuff in here. There's some really good instruction about life in this book. But listen, it's all about Jesus. It's all about the good news of Jesus Christ and what Philip says, is, hey, Isaiah 53, and maybe he took him through some of the storyline of Scripture in that way, and maybe he said it like this, hey, Isaiah 53 is about him too. It's a messianic prophecy. So let me explain to you, listen, this is actually Isaiah 53 talking about the Messiah. The lamb led to the slaughter here is actually the creator of the universe who bore our sins on himself, and he bore your sins. He died in your place. He became crushed for our iniquities and just to be on that chariot and to see the Ethiopian eunuch's eyes wide open going, he did that for me. His life for mine. Some of you are here this morning and you know the Bible, but you've never understood scripture that way. It all points to Jesus. It all points to the Son of God who God sent into this world because of sin that has infected every single one of our hearts and a sin that creates a separation between us and a holy God, a chasm that we cannot cross 
A sin stain that we cannot wipe away with our best efforts, with our most moral living, with the most Bible, with the largest stack of Bible reading that we do, or good living that we accomplish, or prayers that we pray. Your hands, the works of your hands are not good enough. And the Ethiopian eunuch understands that it's faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross alone that can save someone. And he gets saved. Look at verse 36. And they were going along the road and they come to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. A pretty clear-cut argument for baptism by immersion right there. He gets saved and he said, man, what's stopping me? Nobody else is around. This isn't a false conversion like Simon the magician Nobody around to impress. He's like, I'm saved. I'm all in. I understand. I'm throwing the weight of my faith on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I understand that I can only be right in a relationship with God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I believe there's water. Baptize me. And baptism is an ordinance of the church. It's something that we do to show externally something that's happened to us on the inside. And that in Christ we've been buried and we've been risen again. Some of you haven't been baptized. You've trusted in Christ. Maybe you're trusting in Christ this morning. And your next step is to be baptized. And in verse 39, as we begin to close, and when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. All right, that's like some Star Trek stuff in real life right there, all right? He disappears, he teleports to somewhere and the eunuch just goes, oh, and he's filled with the spirit. He just got saved. He just keeps moving and it says that he's rejoicing, which that right there, some of you need to take that with you today. Because if someone else comes along and looks at his life, he still has a lot of things to not rejoice about. Still a eunuch. Still has to go back and serve under probably a very oppressive queen and the king of that country. And yet his greatest problem has been addressed. The problem of his sin. And so every other problem in his life, take a back seat and it's put into perspective. Some of you need to think about that today. You're so focused right now on all the problems in your life, on all the things that aren't going right. You need to get a good dose of this, of this truth and this reality that if you're in Christ Jesus, you're saved and your greatest problem has been dealt with. Philip shows up in another town. I just would like to be there to see that. You know, whoa, well... More people to disciple, more people to point to Jesus. He goes along his way. What an awesome text. What an awesome text that, yes, and we could talk a lot about this, points, listen, to the global mission that this is. That Ethiopia would have literally been the ends of the earth. This is Acts chapter 1, verse 8, being fulfilled. And we look around at the nations of the world. A lot more work to do. Over 3 billion people who right now don't have access to the gospel. But this is showing God's desire for this to go to the nations and, his, and how that promise will be fulfilled. And may we be a church that says, God, use us. Lord, God, God use us to make an impact globally for the gospel. But listen, we will ne- I believe this with all my heart. We will never make an impact globally to the ends of the earth like we should if we're not doing the work right here where God's placed us. 
This is a reminder for us to be prepared for evangelistic opportunities this week that God is going to put in front of us. I'm telling you, this is burdening my heart this week. I believe God wants to use this church, use the, the disciples in this church, both locally and globally, at a much greater degree than he has been. I believe that. And when it comes to being involved, I'm telling you this week, when it comes to being involved locally and really pointing people to Jesus and finding some chariots to jump up into and to point people to Jesus Christ, listen, we can come up with every excuse in the book. We can, we can think of hundreds of excuses to put in our holsters to shoot down the pull of the Spirit in those moments. But my prayer is that moving forward, that we'll see God, we'll see the people in this church, we'll see the people in this room involved in a way like we've never been involved before in going into this community and into this city and invading it with the gospel through conversation, being workplace missionaries, being school missionaries, being neighborhood missionaries. People involved in the Great Commission. I believe that God has divine appointments available for us this week. Laid out in front of us. The question is, is will we step out and be a Philip when those moments come?
Let's pray this morning. As you bow your head and close your eyes, I just want to repeat what I said before that video, that I believe God has divine appointments, chariots to jump into this coming week. And I can't promise you that it'll all turn out like that, like that video could have turned out. But I do know this, that God has promised when the gospel goes out, people will come in. That when his people, when you, his church, are faithful to point people to his son, that he will move in power. And that we will have stories to tell. The question is, will we step out and be like Philip? So if you fall in the category of a Philip this morning, which means you're saved, you're a disciple, would you join me in just praying that we would be a church full of disciples on the go? This, the front of this room, we call it an altar. It's a place where you can come. Just get alone and pray. It's kind of a way to outwardly express what's going on on the inside. And I don't usually do this. But I'm just asking for at least a few people who are willing to come alongside of us and say, you know what? I'll be a Philip. I'm committed to this morning saying, hey, God, I'm willing to pray prayers like, God, open my eyes this week. I'm willing to jump up into some chariots. And so if that's you, uh, in just a moment when we respond, I'm going to ask you to come forward and I'm going to ask you to spend some time praying, praying for our church, praying for your own life, praying for your own home, praying that we will be disciples on the go. If you're someone that more identifies with the Ethiopian eunuch this morning, you need to be saved. And I hope the gospel has been clear to you. You're a sinner. You're separated from God. Jesus came to live the life you can't live. He died on the cross in your place. He rose from the dead. Trust in his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins. And by grace, you can be saved. Cry out for him to save you this morning. He can read the thoughts and the prayers of your, your heart. And I'll be down front. I'll be ready to, to talk with you, to pray with you. If you need to be baptized, come see me. I'd love to help you take that step of faith. You need to join our church. You need prayer about anything else. But I'm, I am asking us this morning, and I don't do this a lot, for some of you to come down. And let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Asking him to make us a church full of disciples on the go.